Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 78 of the Caesar Show. I'm back at it again. Hopefully, this week is going to be even much better than last week. Very, very excited to get into today's hottest topics. But before we get into today's hottest topics, I always got to rehash, recap with you guys on the previous episode. So, on episode 77, it was me and my co host, Trey Day XXIV. We discussed episode three and four of the Jordan documentary, um, Draymond Green's take um, on all the smoke. We kind of broke that down and we discussed much, much more topics. But before we get into today's topics, I want to introduce a special guest who is my brother, Daryl Sharp. So without further ado, let's get to it. And live, we got my brother, Daryl Sharp, aka D Smooth, whatever you want to call him. How you doing, man? What's up, man? It's good to be on. Yes, yeah, it's, it's been a while since you've been on. I think maybe what, like forty episodes or something. I think the last time you were on was with you and Ju, right? At, yeah, in DC. Yeah. yeah, that was one of my favorite episodes with you. Yeah, that's back when I had a super cheap mic and we were all using just one mic in the study room. So, done came a long way. Yeah, I'm proud of what you're doing too, man. Like forty episodes later, the episodes have gotten better. You've gotten more, you know real with the content you putting out. And I just love everything that you're doing. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So, um, how you been holding up since quarantine times? Obviously I'm based, I'm based in Richmond and you based in DC, but you know, obviously we haven't seen each other since probably like over a month. I think the last time you came here was maybe like right before your birthday, you came to get like a haircut or something like that. Maybe I can't even remember. Yeah. I mean, you know, just social distancing, uh, going out for a fresh air when I can, you know, I bought some equipment to try to stay in shape, but for the most part, it's just, you know, doing what the medical professionals are asking us to do and just trying to stay away as possible, man, stay away from everything and just, you know, playing more video games, you know what I'm saying, 2K. Nah, I feel that. Yeah, we got that my league going with me, you and a couple of our cousins, so, yeah. you know, at- when it's all said and done, I'm going to win the championship. So yeah, I ain't worried about you. That's what they say now, but we're going to see. But you ready to get into today's hottest topics? Yeah. All right. So episode five and episode six of The Last Jam. <laughs> episode five, episode six, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, of The Last Dance just premiered. And uh, we got a, we got some good insights. So we're just going to break down, um, going from episode five, go to six, and then obviously some more topics that we got for today. But um, episode five was good, man. Um, it started off, uh, I think it was February 8th of 1998. And basically, obviously, this is his last season, Michael Jordan's last season. And I believe he had his last game in the garden. Um, so it was pretty dope because that was his favorite place to play. And what he ended up doing was he, I think in 1984 when he played, um, he wore his Jordan once. Yeah. And he was basically saying like, yo, like from the progressions of his first shoe up to what he had now, like Jordan ones were trash because his feet was killing him. He was bleeding, whatnot. Um, he still ended up playing great. I think he dropped about 40 plus points um and then it kind of fast forwarded into the all-star game where he um got, basically played his last all-star game as a bull and they kind of focused on kobe for a little bit as well too 
And I feel like he didn't really know that much about him, but he was basically saying that, you know, that, that little Lakers boy going to play everybody one-on-one. And he's basically saying, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show him out. I'm, I'm going to show him that he doesn't let the game come to him. He goes at the game itself. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty good moment. And, you know, RIP to the late, great Kobe Bryant. But he basically ended up saying how, you know, it was – he grew up idolizing – um, Michael Jordan and you know he finally got to see and touch and feel um, Michael Jordan really get to see his strength um, his speed and his quickness as well too and he said one thing about MJ was that MJ provided a lot of guidance um, you know he basically was never scared to go for him to advice for advice and I feel like a lot of people um, have too much pride in you know asking people for advice as well too so at the all-star game he was asking him you know how you like how do you nail this shoot around uh turnout shot you know yeah. what i'm saying so i love how he did that and he viewed him as an older brother as well too um but what were your thoughts on you know the relationship between kobe bryant and mj well i remember that all-star game and i remember like how people were talking about like how this rookie gonna come into the all-star game you know new buck remember when he got drafted, he wore the shades. And, you know, seeing that relationship between him and Mike, you kind of saw, like, an early, like, semblance of Mike and a young Kobe Bryant. You kind of saw the dog that Mike had. Like, when Mike even said, you know, this this motherfucker, he going to make the game come to him. It's like, he gonna, you can see that mentality there. I'm just going to go kill whoever in front of me. I'm going to go kill. And that's that's what Kobe was about. And I think Mike kind of gravitated towards that because he saw a lot of himself in a young Kobe Bryant. And you can kind of see it. It was like, damn, like, that's the next dude up. Like, it's almost like, you know, in, in basketball, you kind of see players who kind of, like, have similar games. And I think Mike was like, man, this those is one of those dudes that's going to be here for a long time. And you kind of saw the respect that was there, like the like the entire like locker room talk was pretty much predicated on Kobe Bryant because you knew there was something special about this cat, his swag, his demeanor, and then he can play, and then you can go out there and get buckets. So that was great to see, and I think it's going to be great for the young people who are fans of Kobe Bryant and the generation after that to kind of see the young Kobe Bryant and how hungry he was for knowledge and stuff like that and Mike giving him some game. So that was great to see. For sure, for sure. And then, you know, Kobe ended up getting Phil Jackson. Yeah. After that, you know, besides the Bulls, they were the last team to three-peat. He yeah. almost three-peat again if he didn't uh, lose to the Celtics back in 08 as well, too. And like you said, they he padded his game after MJ. So he, he's the closest to MJ. I don't know if there's going to be someone else like him, but – that was just a great relationship that they had with one another as well, too. So that was dope. So I was actually wrong. So February eighth was February eighth was the All Star game. Fast forward to March eighth of nineteen ninety eight. That's when they played the Knicks for the very. That's when when, yeah. uh, when Michael Jordan played the Knicks for the very last time. Um, and like I said before, that he went to the Garden essentially. That was his favorite favorite place to play. Um, and like I said before, he played with his Jordan ones um, because that was the first shoe that he wore when he went to the Gardens as well too. But what was interesting about that, I know you're going to go a little bit more in depth about that, was they had a flashback of June of 1984, and basically with MJ, uh, there was a his agent at the time was David Folk, and David Folk was basically saying like, "Yo, like." 
he talked with his parents and he said the conversation was good. They asked a great question, but he's like, yo, I want to represent this guy. And one thing, one thing about him was David Folk represented um, golfers, boxers, tennis players. And this was something because they were all th- – th- those are still sports, but it's an individual sport. So what David Folk seemed like he wanted to do was he wanted to bring Michael Jordan in. Obviously, basketball is a team sport, but it seemed like he wanted to individualize Michael Jordan. And at first, I know um, Converse was like the shoes, the like official NBA shoes of the time. And um, he went to Converse. They said, nah, you're really not going to be the top tier guy. Once Adidas, nah, you're really not going to be the top tier guy. And then they're like, well, let's take this, let's take this trip to Nike and see what they have to offer. And at the time, they offered him a lot of money as well, too. And, uh, you know, it turned into Air Jordan. And, you know, the sales skyrocketed as well, too. And then after that, he started getting deals with Wilson, uh, with McDonald's. And they had they even talked about, like, with Spike Lee, got to direct one of his commercials. And that's when the whole phenomenon of that urban culture with Jordan kind of skyrocketed as well, too. So um, that was pretty dope. But, uh just tell 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 us about your thoughts on you know the Air Jordan and you know how it expanded as a brand and all that stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, growing up, you know, if you had a pair of Jordans, you was that dude. Like, you couldn't like everybody wanted a pair of Jordans. You had to wait in lines to go get them. But I just <laughs> say, like going back though, like if you kind of think about it though, like the NBA, like Converse was the main thing. Like people didn't really buck tradition like that. So. I think his agent, his agent was like, yo, we trying to make a global superstar. And this kid has all the makings of a global superstar. So you kind of brand him that way. Before it was like, you know, it was almost like team oriented. And you can make the argument that might probably individualize basketball in a way where like the, the brand became the individual, the person. But like I said, like having a pair of Jordan was almost like a status set. It was like, man, I'm about to flex because I got them. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, and you wanted to have, like, it was like, if I had a pair of Jordans, I could be as dope and great as him, right? That's what he was selling. Yeah, you can be like Mike. And that's what he was selling. So, and you, you, obviously he had to be great. You know what I'm saying? So it was good to see that. It was also good to see, um, to see like how the Jordan brand kind of, mixed with urban culture, black culture, and how that kind of generated its popularity even more. Because now it was like, it was us, it belonged to us. It was, it was what we did, it was hip hop, you know what I'm saying? It was all of those different influences and Jordan just made it pop, it was it. Having a pair of Jordan, like I said, was, he was the man, he was, the, he was that dude, he was that person, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure, I agree, I, I do remember I was a sneakerhead back in the day as well, too. I remember me, you, and Drew, Ty, Warren, uh, when the Space Jams came out. I think yeah. to, Jordan used to always release, like, I think the 11s used to always release. Yeah, the different the different colorways would always release, like, a couple of days before Christmas or something like that. And I still remember we went to Patrick Henry Mall, and everybody was just chilling. And we saw one person, like, we thought they were going to go throw out the trash. So we are like, yo, let's let's... Let's get to this line real quick. And up running all the way over there. We waited for like <laughs> six plus hours, bro, in the cold. In like the cold. it felt like 30, 40 degrees, bro. Yeah. We all got those joints and those were my those were my all-time favorite shoes I've yeah. ever had in my life. And I think the next year, 
We went to go get the cool grades at George Mason in Fairfax, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember watching Inception in the car, and then we just did the same thing. We always managed to get that joint. So that, uh, waiting in line with Juan, uh, I, I had a lot of J's back in the day. I had to end up selling it because you know how that struggled me in college. But, yeah, Jordan's was definitely the highlight of my shoe game yeah. as well, too. <laughs> it's so crazy because um, it's still going. It's still, it's still as relevant as it was when it released in, in the 80s. So that's yeah, just a testament yeah. to the brand. For sure, for sure. And then, obviously, um, he ended up scoring 42 points in, in the Garden his last game. And then uh, they fast-forwarded to the 1991 when they defeated the Magic. Um, and the Lakers, and then in 92, when they tried to two-peat, basically everyone was saying, like, you know, we they won a championship, where are they going to go? So they ended up beating Portland um, 4-2, and then I believe in one of those games, like Michael Jordan had a career high um, or an NBA record for most threes and a half, and I was just like, damn, imagine if you played in this era yeah. right now, um, how the three-point line is so – uh, prominent right now, like how he would fare with everyone as well, too. And then they forwarded again. They talked about the Dream Team um, in the 92 Olympics as well, too. And I guess for the first time, they had mostly NBA players or star-studded players go overseas um, to Barcelona to play against these other teams. So the biggest team there that they were talking about was Croatia. Um, but even before that, they had a little segment saying, like, yo, like, Isaiah Thomas met all the criteria to be on the team, but it seemed like they kind of painted a picture that MJ didn't want him on the team. MJ kind of said that that wasn't the case, and he kind of said that it was kind of like a general consensus that people didn't really want him on the team, I guess because of like his track record being too physical or whatnot, but what are your thoughts on Isaiah not making the team? Well, I think that's Honestly, I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that the NBA probably has. Because if you if you go back and you look at it, Christian Leitner made that team, right? And the logic and the logic was that he was the most decorated college player, right? He made it over Shaq. And Isaiah Thomas, arguably the greatest or second greatest point guard of all time, doesn't make the team. And John Stock didn't make the team, right? And Isaiah Thomas is a two-time champion he beat bird he beat magic he beat you know he beat the bulls so it's almost like how do you not have one of the most decorated point guards playing on the dream team but you have one of the most decorated college players so the logic doesn't add up but i think at the end of the day i think a lot of the players didn't like isaiah thomas for for whatever reason you know they felt like he probably rubbed some of them the wrong way you know what i'm saying but it's, it's, it's definitely, to me, a stain on the NBA because that dream team was supposed to represent the best of the best. And that's not taking anything away from John Stockton. I think he's a great point guard. But I think Isaiah Thomas was the clear like player who just didn't make the team. We're still talking about it because it just doesn't make sense. How does this great NBA player, 6'1", he has no business winning two championships in a league that everybody is the big man league, right? And he kind of like gets snubbed. It just doesn't make any sense. And you look at his stats, you look at all the all the things that he's done for the league. It's just crazy. Like, what were y'all thinking and what were y'all doing? So I think definitely for sure he should have made the team. For sure. And I just felt like, you know, that was 
the first time where you got to see, like I said, all those stars come together as well, too. Yeah. So I felt like if he would have went on the team, there would have been a deeper understanding to who he is as a player off the court. Mm-hmm. And that would have, you know, helped with the relationships with everyone on that team as well, too. But another thing they talked about with the with the dream team was this one guy that Jerry Krause was so interested in, Tony Kukoc. Um, and basically they were saying that he was going to be the future of the Bulls. So, yeah. you know, Michael Jordan on, every, on anybody, like, just slice him just a little bit. He feels some type of way. So that first game they had in the group stages, they, they, I think MJ was basically like, yo, only me and Scotty going to guard this guy. No <laughs> one else guard this guy. In the first half, they held him to zero points, zero rebounds. <laughs> Scotty was frying this dude. And then towards the end of the game, he only had four points, which yeah. is crazy. And I guess, yeah, like I said, they just felt disrespected by Jay Cruz because they were like, yo, like, how dare you say he's going to be the, the face of the franchise when, you know, we the ones who bring in, you know, this winning mentality back to Chicago for this organization as well, too. End up doing well. Um, and uh, I think when they played each other in the championship game, I think he had about like 18 points or six assists or something like that as well, too. But mm-hmm. he kind of proved himself to everybody that he can, um, you know, hang with the big cats as well, too. But, you know, what's more important for me is the fact that the Dream Team was kind of responsible for the global brand of basketball and had a huge cultural influence with that. Um, talk to me about, you know, the brand awareness of the NBA, you know, with the dream team, you know, finally going back to reclaim the throne. Yeah. So, yeah. So prior to that on the international stage, the NBA was kind of like a laughing stock, right. You know, getting beat and stuff like that. And, you know, after that dream team, you kind of see like the global exposure of NBA, like it becomes, it starts becoming super popular, right. Players, you know, seeing Mike, seeing magic, seeing, seeing all these great NBA players, kids all across the world wanting to be like these players. So you see the brand just take on a huge popularity hit, right? Like, and when I say hit, I mean like a rise in popularity. And and it was because of that dream team. It was because what they represented, they they dismantled all their competition. Like you said about Tony Kukoc, like it was, they wanted to make a statement like, when we put our best four players forward, there's no other players in the world that can beat us. And it was like, we showed that. And having Michael Jordan there, who's, who don't want to lose to anyone, and him being the most popular athlete at the time, I think it coincided with like that rise of popularity. Like you said, man, it was just like, dang, this is the pinnacle of basketball. This is the pinnacle of what the world is trying to chase. And I think, that right there like it was just a moment in time a special moment yeah for sure um yeah so another thing that was dope as well too was barack obama made a cameo and um one thing that he said was you know there's kind of a burden with being an african-american who obtains success um he see he said in the sense that you can't essentially get too controversial um over social issues in america and I believe during a time, at least in the documentary, there's a, a guy running for Senate. I think his name was Harry Grant, Harry Gant, um, in 1990 from North Carolina. And basically, he was going against this other guy. I can't remember the other guy's name. Ended up winning, but I guess they wanted a full out endorsements 
endorsement from Michael Jordan, kind of like today, you know, like during the last election when LeBron James endorsed Hillary Hinton, and he clearly stated that his political views is he's for the Democratic Party and whatnot. But there was some quote that are basically saying that Jordan was like, the Republicans buy Nike too. Um, and it seemed like he kind of took his personal wealth over politics. And it seemed to me that, at least from what he said, was he only focused on basketball. Like, he never thought of himself as an activist. Um, so my thing to you is, how do you feel about that? And and do you feel like, you know, being an athlete, that that's, that's a global brand at this point, the most recognizable face probably in the world at that time and still to this day, do you feel like stars owe it to be um, political in some sense? That's a great question. Um, so, so that's a very... And I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not Michael Jordan, obviously, right? So that's that level of popularity, you know, and you're trying to be apolitical because you're not trying to off, offend anyone. But, you know, I come, I get, yeah, but I come from a tradition where, you know, Muhammad Ali is the greatest athlete in the world. He stood for something, right? Um, you know, he, he protested the war when it wasn't politically correct to do that. I think I think there is an added burden when you're an African-American and that same burden isn't always applied to white athletes, right? To speak up on injustice. Um, but I guess Michael Jordan was put in a situation like you're so popular and you're so revered, lending your voice to these social issues would do, you know, it would, it would help push the movement forward. And I just wanna bring Isaiah, not to compare Isaiah Thomas to Michael Jordan, but during his time, Isaiah Thomas was very politically active. He was he was having walkouts. He was you know leading the movement. Like um, there's a there's an article out on the type of work that Isaiah Thomas was doing in the community in Detroit to uplift um, social inequities, right? And not to say every athlete um, you know should be politically active. Like you don't want to force anyone to speak if they don't feel comfortable speaking. But I think these issues sometimes sometimes these issues are so profound and so important that you have to shed light on it somehow or some way that isn't to say that because in the in the doc you know mike said he did contribute to his campaign right but he just didn't speak publicly because he didn't know who he was right and i think that's somewhat fair because like when you're an athlete when, especially when you're an athlete on the magnitude of michael jordan you're not focusing on like political races, who these candidates are, because you're so uh, focused on the game of basketball, it's just hard to do other things. But again, I think like, I come from a tradition where we, I would like for athletes to be vocal about uh, issues that they take personal issues that they want to raise awareness um, for. Again, you know, Muhammad Ali to me is probably the greatest athlete of all time. And he stood for something he, you know, lost his belt for that. So it was, when I heard the quote at the time, when I, when I was younger, when I heard the quote, I was like, dang, like Mike, we, you know, black people buying your shoes and stuff like that, you know, we support the brand, like, and you one of our superheroes, right? And then maybe that's, maybe we have to look at that re relationship between celebrity and, you know, should we expect celebrities to do everything or, you know, be vocal about these issues? So when I remember when I heard the quote for the first time, I'm like, dang, Mike, Mike, you on bang with us, man. You can't stand up for us. So, and when you heard the quote, it was like, ugh, man, I ain't trying to hear that, Mike. 
and they kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But kind of hearing him actually, you know, um, actually that was the first time I ever heard him like respond to that quote. So it was kind of dope to just see that he thought about it and he kind of gave us an opinion on how he felt at the time about it. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's good now that, like I said, players now individualize and players come from all different backgrounds. So it's yeah. good to, it's good for them to always utilize their um, platform um, to bring awareness to things that matter to them, um, which would include sure. politics as well too. So I respect sure. that as well. Moving on to episode six, um, you know, he started off saying, you know, it's pretty tough, you know, being MJ for a day. Um, they, you know, people will always be, people are basically always saying, yo, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. I want to be MJ for a day, MJ for a week, but you know, try to be MJ for a year, you know what I'm saying? Then they're basically saying, yo, no, the moment that he leaves the hotel, he's under a microscope. Like he has no form of freedom um, in the general public when he leave the hotel to go to the practice facility, the Bulls facility, come back to the hotel. Like it's just nonstop fandom. I mean, and that's kind of what you sign up for um, when you want to be great and you get more publicized. So it kind of makes sense as well, too. Um, and it, and they said something about like he he, he was kind of the the people around him, so the media and the fans are kind of like you know flocks of bees trying to get at the honey as well too, and uh, you can tell even like when obviously they were following him during the nineteen ninety seven ninety eight season, you can you can tell like even when he opened the door in the hotel when they came in he kind of was annoyed, yeah, um, and he just wanted to be isolated and I feel like that was one of the things that kind of obviously you know. Jerry Krause um, and Phil Jackson um, had their little dispute and whatnot, so that was one of the main things. But it felt, it, it kind of felt like he got to a point where he was just over what the fame kind of came with as well, too. Mm. Um, and also at that time as well, I can't remember the writer. I think it's Sam Smith. He had a book called uh, The Jordan Rules, and basically yeah. Jordan's kind of saying like how when you get to a certain level of success, you know, it, it's good with what it comes with, but what we can really get at people are how every time you come to the top, there's always someone trying to tear you down. So I guess the Jordan rules is about how MJ's not the perfect person that you guys envision or what you guys perceived him to be as well too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of talked about how the, the book kind of talked about what kind of goes on uh, behind the scenes um, because it kind of, trying to knock you off the pedestal as well too um and it seemed like you know that was one of the things that kind of would ultimately lead to the separation or the ending of this bull dynasty bulls dynasty as well too and like i said it's early retirement but how do you feel about you know handling fame um being of that nature and whatnot talk to me about that yeah man like with mike i guess you can kind of sense that that entire like yo they build you up to break you down narrative coming again and like you kind of work like you said you work your entire career to get to a point to where you feel like you you're you're finally bearing your fruits or whatever out of quote goes and then he gets to that pinnacle and it's like yeah but you ain't as great as the media make you seem there has to be a flaw What's wrong with him? He's not this shiny object that we once loved. That we still, so I'm saying, so you try, you start taking shots. And one of the things with celebrity is that it can be dehumanizing, right? Because people no longer see you as a human. They see you as an object, as a thing. 
Just, and so you have to grapple with that, right? You have to grapple with that. Man, I'm still a human at the end of the day, but every time he leaves the hotel, like you said, I got to turn it on. They don't want me, the person. They want Michael Jordan, the image, right? And you can see he's battling with that. Like, in, in, in the doc, he says, like, yo, the most comfortable time I'm, I feel is when I'm at home lying on the couch watching TV. Playing ball. Yeah, because when you go out, you're 2,000 people, 3,000. So everything you say becomes or is viewed under this microscope and like, you only have to be perfect all the time and who's perfect all the time, you know what I'm saying? So it was kind of, I was thinking when I was watching, I was thinking like, man, how would that be during the social media age, right? Where everything you say gets blown way out of proportion and it becomes a topic of debate. And just and just seeing that from back then, where 2,000, 3,000 people following you to hotels, restaurants, once you get off the bus, like you can never truly be yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And he mentioned like, man, the, the happiest I am is when I'm away from all of this. And it's crazy because you work so hard to get to a certain point. And now you're like, man, I don't really want all that anymore. I just want to be happy. I just want to be free. I just want to be myself. And you kind of see him, you kind of see the the fatigue starting to set in. When like, man, maybe I don't really want this anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was like one of the sad parts of like, dang, this is what comes with the game. The game is beautiful, but what comes with the game, I don't know if I can deal with that sh- no more, man. Yeah. And it's crazy because with the whole Sam Smith situation, he was, it seemed like he was always in the locker room as well, too. So obviously that information only leaks out from from someone with inside the organization. So that could have been someone part of coaching staff, one of the players that kind of tried to pin it on, uh, what's his name, Horace Grant? Was it Horace Grant? Yeah, I think so. I think they said that. Yeah, they tried to alienate and say, yo, this is like, you know, he's one of the reasons why this and this and this happened, but it could literally be anybody in the organization. You don't know, yeah. You know what I'm saying? All trying to just get a little buck. That's what it comes down to. (laughs) That's all it is. Some some spite towards MJ, which is crazy. So they fast forwarded that and, um, you know, they kind of pinpointed, all right, you guys won two championships. And if, you know, you want to be considered one of the greats, you know, with Larry Bird and with Magic Johnson, essentially you got a three-peat. You know what I'm saying? Those are the last, I think, two organizations, the three-peat as well, too. And um, they ended up going up against the Knicks in the Easter Conference Finals to kind of get to the championship. And um, I think they were down um, 2-0. And I think once they went down 2-0, Michael Jordan ended up going to Atlantic City with his dad because his dad was basically saying, like, yo, like, let's get away from all this attention and let's just ease our mind, you know, just go with a couple friends and um, just go out. And they basically kind of said that he had, like, a gambling problem and uh, he stayed out to, like, 2.33 in the morning when he was back by midnight. And he was like, yo, this is just a way for me to escape from the yeah. BS that goes on every day as well, too. So yeah. it's crazy how they kind of made that a public issue with him and gambling as well, too. Um, but talk to me about, you know, that situation. Do you think it was fair how the media pinned that against him? Yeah. You know, it was crazy when I was listening to that joint. I was like, how dare you say, like, one of the greatest players ever isn't committed to the game? Like, to me, that was, to me, that was, like, the most disrespectful shit I ever heard. I'm like, how would you say that? Like, this dude... The, like y'all spent your entire media career saying that no one works harder than them than to flip it and be like, is he committed to the game? I was like, man, that's a slap in the face to 
the incredible work that he's done, the contributions that he's had to the game. In terms of, so yeah, I didn't like that. So in terms of like him going to Atlanta City, Atlantic City to go game or get the stress off the day off his chest, I had no problem with it. I'm like, man, like some people, after after they take a you know couple of losses, they want to go reset. They want to get their mind away from basketball, right? Uh, I remember D Wade during the Pacers series went back to his old coach just to you know work out with his old. Like some certain people do certain things to get that stress off. Them. I, I I didn't I thought it was kind of sloppy journalism and and when I'm watching the doc, how they kind of correlated that to some larger problem of gambling. I'm like, oh, man, maybe he's just trying to blow some steam. The media is on him, right? Maybe he's just trying to blow some steam. But again, it goes to that entire conversation about how like you have to be perfect in the eyes of the media all the time. And if you're not perfect at one time, then maybe you're not what we thought that you were. So it's battling expectations versus reality again. So I just didn't like him like, it just didn't make no sense. What do you mean, Michael Jordan, don't take the game serious? You see what he's done since he was drafted? Like, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, uh, for sure. So uh, after that, um, they basically talked about um, when he went up against the Suns uh, with Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley was a dog back in the day as yeah. well, too. Um, and sure. they basically talking about how, like, I think Chicago – no, Chicago. The Suns had, I think, home court advantage. And I think the Suns won the first two games in Chicago. That's when they were down MJ. MJ ended up winning two straight back in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, and Charles Barkley was just saying, like, yo, this is, like, the first time where I, I – in my head, I always believed I was the best player. But yeah. this is the first time where I actually had some form of doubt and I kind of, you know, realized that I'm not the best player. Like, Jordan is the best player as well, too. Put up a fight and ended up losing in six games as well, too. But uh, um, it's just crazy how Jordan just, once he got that taste of winning, he just couldn't lose as well, too. But uh, nobody, yeah, nobody can stop that. Nobody can stop that as well, too. So, um, I mean, episode five and six overall are very, very solid. You know, I always, after I finish the two part, the two episode the stint, I'm like, yo, I really, really crave for more. So, yeah. it's like we got to wait until next week to. Um, you know, watch episode what five? No, six and seven. One, two, three, four. No, seven and eight. I think right. Seven and eight. Seven and eight. Seven yeah. And eight, so yeah. it's gonna be interesting. But even moving on from there, earlier this week, um, Isaiah Thomas came out with uh, a little saying, and basically saying like today's players like LeBron Durant do not do enough to get credit. So basically, he was saying, um, let me see if I can find that quote. So I think he had a one-on-one with Chris Broussard, um, who is one of the analysts on Fox Sports. Isaiah said, I think this generation is not getting enough credit for what they're doing because the athletes that are in this generation are so far superior than what was in my generation. Jordan was the best athlete that we had ever seen from an athletic standpoint. There are like 10 or 11 guys in the NBA right now with Jordan's athleticism. We didn't have that back then. With what Katie and LeBron are doing, if you put them back in the era of the 80s with their talent, their athleticism, and their skill, then who's really the GOAT? Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, can can players in this era, like the big-name players like you listed and company, do you think they can compete in Isaiah Thomas slash Jordan's um, era? So one thing, I, I got to go check that uh, – I got to go check that interview out. But I'm going to say this. 
if you an all-time great, you can play in any era. Like, and I want to like establish, if you an all-time great, you can, there's no era in basketball that you can't play in. So mm -hmm. Kevin Durant, you put him in the 90s, you put him in the 80s, you put him in the 70s, he's going to get buckets. You put LeBron in the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, he's going to be a star, right? In terms of the GOAT conversation, I'm hoping that we move towards it, like where like there's certain GOATs of certain eras, right? Yeah. Like, Will Chamberlain of his era is the GOAT, right? Yeah. Then you got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You got cats like, the, you know what I'm saying? Then you have like the Magics. Then you have like the Mikes who dominated their eras, right? I think the conversation always goes to like, yo, who would be the greatest of all time? And we start, and we start looking at numbers and statistics and I'm like, yo, different rules, different time, you know, like it's hard to do that. So in terms of Isaiah Thomas's comments, and I don't want to like take it out of context. I think he's saying like, yo, what these athletes are doing now, if you just put them back in that era, who knows what they would have done? Like Kevin Durant is like a modern George Gervin. LeBron is like a, he has like Magic Johnson, magic, yeah, magic Johnson type joint and with way more athleticism. So you just don't know. And it's, and it's like, it's dope to kind of think about those, like what would happen if, but like, you know, like Will Chamberlain, there's the interview going around with Will Chamberlain saying like, yo, Back in that day, like doing fancy dunks in 360s, your coach would bench you during that time when I played. Now you can do that. And his argument was like, yo, different eras, there's different styles, they're different like norms of basketball. Like, but I, I guess what Isaiah Thomas is saying, like, yo, these athletes today, man, they different. They some they they killers, they dogs. Mm -hmm. So seeing them what what they could have done in that era would probably be special. For sure. And I just feel like He's one of the few OGs that really don't hate on a new age. So he's one yeah. of those real recognized, real. So I respect yeah, that about sure. Isaiah. Um, and if you just look at science and history in general, like we're constantly evolving. So obviously through time, you're going to get a little bit better. But like you said, if you drop greatness off into another era, you can't teach their physicality, their yeah. height, all that stuff. And you can't teach that go get a mentality. So I feel like even though it was a little bit more physical, they would have adapted to that time and found ways to win that. Would they have won these amount of championships, made these amount of final appearances? We don't know because at at the end of the day, in today's era, players are in more control of who they have around them. So I think they would have put the right pieces around them for them to be successful as well too. So, um, yeah, I agree with Isaiah Thomas, and I don't have no knock on him as well too. Moving on from that, uh, <laughs> old Cavs coach David Blatt, um, made some headlines earlier this week as well, too. And I guess he was taking shots at LeBron. And a little quote that I have here is that he said, Michael Jordan is greater than LeBron James, Blatt said. He won the most championships with one single team and did not focus on the I, but on the us. But surely in terms of ability and influence, they are both included in the top five best players in history. This article was just kind of dumb, or whatever he said was just kind of dumb, because if you – if you know LeBron James, even from a young age, he always prided himself on team basketball as far as individual accolades. You know what I'm saying? He always talk, harped on sacrifice. And then even in the media, he gets killed. When they went up against uh, the 2017 Warriors, when KD first went there, there was a play, there was a sequence, I think it was game three, when it was a, a close game before KD hit that dagger. 
He drew all he drew the defense into the paint, kicked it out to Kyle Corver. Kyle Corver missed a shot, and they're like, "Yo, why did LeBron take the last shot?" Like, yeah. so I don't really know what David Blatt talking about when LeBron, like I said, prides himself on the success of the team and sacrificing as well. So, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't know if David Blatt meant it to come across as like hate. Like sometimes you don't know. Like you just read something, and they probably took it out of context. Yeah. Does he have a right to believe who he feels is the greatest player of all time? For sure. If he feels Mike is the best, that's his opinion. But if he's saying like, yo, LeBron is a selfish, you know, superstar, I don't agree with that just based on what we know about LeBron's game, right? He's probably one of the most selfless superstars the NBA has probably ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I feel like that those are one of those type of pieces where it just it reads like it's just trying to create some trouble, tr- create some controversy. Um, I like, come on, no one thinks LeBron is like a selfish superstar. I don't know. I've never played with LeBron, but I'm gonna say based on his game and his game alone, I think he's a selfless superstar. So that that's all I gotta say about that. I agree. So now the NBA is discussing delaying the start of well, not even that one. I'm gonna go into this one. So. Um, so basically like there's been a little back and forth between the growing optimism and the realization that there could be a continuation of the NBA season. There could not yeah. be. And LeBron James basically came out saying that, uh, he tweeted, he said, I saw some reports about execs and agents wanting to cancel the season. That's absolutely not true. Nobody I know is saying anything like that. As soon as it's safe, we would like to finish our season. I'm ready and our team is ready. Nobody should be canceling anything. Um, do you agree that, you know, once it's safe to get, you know, players in the remote locations, uh, you know, do you think, do you, do, you, do you agree and do you think once it's safe to get players in a remote location um, that we should finish out the 1920 season, 1920 NBA season <laughs> as opposed to having a little asterisk there? Yeah, I think, like you said, I think safety is the most important thing. I think I, I would hope that the season doesn't get canceled because this was such a great season. Um, I wanted to see, I'm going to be honest, I wanted to see the Clippers versus the Lakers, the Bucks versus the Raptors. I wanted to see that as a basketball fan. But I hope, you know, safety is the most important thing, obviously. But I think if the season does resume, I think they're going to have to try to come up with a way where players don't just automatically jump back into it. There, there's going to have to be some type of training camp some type some type of like games that they play to get back in rhythm and resume the season um i think like i don't i wouldn't put an asterisk beside it because there's been lockout seasons there've been shortened season when the spurs won their championship we don't take that ring away from tim duncan i said you won that i don't think we should do that i think that these players like the season ended what march 11th they played over how many games? I think, I think it's right that they finished the season off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think yeah, even right sure. now, um, they're discussing delaying the start of the season until December. So that kind of, mm-hmm. that kind of gives you, you know, confirmation that they are going to plan to resume the season, um, take a little bit of time off, and then start up with the. Um, next the 19 no the 2021 season in december um but i feel like fans probably won't be in attendance probably maybe optimistically speaking until like 
March, next year. April of yeah, next year. Next year. So it's gonna be crazy, but crazy. but I want even, them, but I want them to finish the season. I, I do as a basketball fan. I just want to see them finish yeah. and see what that goes to. Even with no fans, like I don't care. It's only it's only gonna suck because the fans do really rally behind. Yeah, them and and role players tend to play better at home, and it's just more exciting. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just basketball. So if we got content to watch, then I'm all for it. We for have sure. to see a winner. Um, so it's gonna be interesting. But before that, no particular order. Putting you on the spot right now. Oh man, <laughs> who are your top five players of all time? Don't have to be just your top five favorite players or your top five players. Who are your top five? No order. Wow. Dang, you gonna put me on the spot like that, bro? Um, I'm gonna go with um, I'm gonna go with Mike. I'm gonna go with Bean. I'm gonna go with Kobe at two. I'm gonna put Kareem up there. Damn. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put Magic up there. That's four. That's four. Um these are just my favorite, right? My favorites. Yeah, you're it's five. not the who I think are the best. So then I'm gonna have to go with Allen Iverson at five, bro. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go no, AI. No, no Braun at top five, your favorite? I thought. Nah, you said MJ, Kobe Bean, Kareem, Magic, and AI. All right, let, let me. Uh, hey, I love Kareem. I knew you were gonna uh, place Kareem. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna put Braun. I'm gonna put Braun at, um, over Kareem just because LeBron's obviously one of my favorite players. Yeah, nigga, love LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, man, uh, yeah, just wanted to pick your brain to see who your top five was. Uh, obviously, top five is always forever changed as well, too. Uh, yeah. Any any last words before we end the episode? Oh, uh, man, no, I just love everything that you're doing. Keep up the great work, man. Stay safe. Social distance, everyone. Uh, please listen to the medical professionals. Much love to the healthcare community and all the work that they're doing to try to keep us safe. And that's it, man. I love what you do. Keep on doing it. Keep being great, man. Love, bro. For sure, for sure. Appreciate that. And ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap on episode 78 of The Caesars Show. Make to subscribe on all forms of social media at Sir Caesars and The Caesars Show. We out.